Come, Holy Spirit. Kindle in us the fire of your love. Open the eyes of our hearts and see through them. Open our lips and speak through them. Set our souls on fire. Please be seated. How's that for a start? <laughs> yeah! Um, anybody else like me? Anybody confused? No? Just me? No. <laughs> all right. I guess we're all done here. <laughs> Life is confusing, is it not? And sometimes the confusion is not so much about we know what we are supposed to do. Sometimes that's the big thing we don't want to do. Uh, but we don't know how to do it. We don't know with all the obstacles and challenges in life how to actually execute and be the people that we're supposed to be. Um, so I really love this reading from Luke today because it gives me hope. Because I, you know, Luke, he is by profession, but he's not a historian. And he's obviously not a scholar of the Mosaic Law because he's got it all confused in this reading. All confused. It says that the family comes for their purification. And if you actually have read the Law of Moses, it's the woman who's given birth that has purification as a ritual to restore her to the community. Joseph is probably wondering what Luke is talking about, his purification. <laughs> they bring the child to the temple. There's no requirement that the child be brought to the temple. The offering of the turtle doves or the pigeons is not to redeem Jesus. It's the price of her purification. Luke seems to be a little bit confused about what's going on. And I say, well, thanks be to God. <laughs> because that makes me feel not alone. That makes me feel not alone. It makes me realize that there are things yet to be figured out. It tells me that there are these good and righteous people seeking the will of God, seeking to share the story of God, and they haven't gotten it all yet figured out. Now, we could look at Luke and kind of want to correct Luke and say, you know, Luke got it wrong. But I think Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I think this is the way God wanted the story to be, with some confusion in it. So we might relate to it. And what we might do is enter into it not as something to be corrected, but as an invitation. An invitation to see how it speaks into our lives. Our lives also, I think, sometimes are challenging and confusing. And somewhere in all of that, we might figure out something God is trying to say to us this day. This has to have been a really strange thing for this couple. Mary and Joseph bringing this child into the temple, traveling to Jerusalem from their home. They're trying to just do this thing that's required of them. And then the weirdos show up. The church people show up. This elderly man, inspired by the Holy Spirit, comes up and takes their child from and starts muttering these prophecies. Then there's a woman who's been in that temple for probably over 60 years, fasting and praying. And we don't have her words, but it says to anybody who would listen, she's going, look at the child. The, rege the redemption of Jerusalem is here. And, and you... I mean, that's like the people that stand on the street corners, right? <laughs> and I wonder, 
I wonder, in all that kind of confusing thing, they, they take him back to his home, and it says that he grew in wisdom. And I wonder what they shared with him from this very strange thing that happened to them. Jesus, when you were a child, we took you to the temple, and these people said strange words about you. Strange words. This old man, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said something quite curious to us who are devout Jews. He said that you would be a light to the Gentiles and the glory of God's people Israel. <coughs> well, we had thought up until that time that the Messiah was for Israel. But this prophet speaking the word of God says it's bigger than that. That you would be a savior for all people. For all people. I wonder what that means. I wonder what that means. Tony Campolo, a famous Baptist evangelical preacher and author, shares a story about a man that he met one time at a conference. The man was an Anglican priest. And he was quite surprised that the man was an Anglican because he was an African-American. And told the man, you know, most African Americans are either Baptists or they're Methodists. And I think Tony Campolo, being a Baptist, was probably hoping maybe in that moment he could convince that person to lead Anglicanism and become a Baptist. <laughs> so how is the guess? How is it you became an Anglican? And so he talked about his childhood. Talked about his childhood. He was born and raised in South Africa. And so first thing comes to your mind, South Africa. You might remember the unpleasant history of South Africa. An apartheid system, a system of separation of the races, with a, with a white minority in charge, and a vast number of people, the South African population, the black population, oppressed. It was written into their law, it was written into their way of life, and everybody knew who was superior. And he was growing up in this. And he said one day he's walking with his mom down a sidewalk. And everybody knew what you're supposed to do when races meet. It was the obligation and the expectation that black people get off the sidewalk or off the road and they stand in the gutter while the white people pass by. So he grew up with this and he knew this, but he said one day he and his mom were out walking and they're walking down this road and there's the gutter they're supposed to get in and this white man in a black suit came walking toward them. And as they start doing that, son, we need to get off the road and, and, and be respectful. He said that man stepped into the gutter. The white man stepped into the gutter. And most of them to come by, and as they walk by, as a sign of respect, he tips his hat to that boy's mom. He was confused. Did something change? Mom, 
Who was that man? His mom looked at him and said, He's an Anglican priest. He is a man of God. Well, that little boy looked at his mom and said, You know what, Mom? I want to be an Anglican priest. I want to be a man of God. See, into these confusing things that we have in Luke's scriptures and the confusing things that happen in our lives, the question is, what do we hold on to? And what do we let go of? What is the treasure and what is the dross? What is the thing that really in our confusion we go, I'm going to anchor myself in this and this is going to get me through? That boy had seen all kinds of things and very easily could have grown up to have been a hateful, resentful person. But somebody surprised him with an act of kindness and respect. And so, yeah, he became an Anglican priest and did very well. Did so well, he was elevated to be a bishop. And then as Anglicans, we have provinces, regions of the globe, and each province has an archbishop. We call ours the presiding bishop. He became the archbishop. And when his country went through this very difficult transition from apartheid to freedom for all races, <coughs> he was instrumental in helping his country make that step. He chaired the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions that allowed people who have been victimized to come and confront their victimizers, to level accusations against them, and to have those people hear the accusations and ask for forgiveness. He helped heal that country. He won the Nobel Prize for Peace. His name is Archbishop Desmond Tutu. In these confusing times where we see our own nation being torn apart by people who disagree so strongly and who seem not to remember who we're supposed to be, but grab onto those things that divide us, we need to remember that Jesus came for all people a light for the Gentiles, and the glory of the people of Israel. Simeon, this old man, also tells them this mysterious thing about how Jesus is going to be the cause of the fall of many and the rise of many. He is going to be like a sword. Because we know that sometimes when we seek to follow Christ and bring Christ to the world, the world will not receive it. We will face opposition and hatred. We have the martyrs of the church as evidence of that. The martyrs of the church. Clarence Jordan. Um, he's the author of the Cotton Patch Gospels, a paraphrase. Wonderful video that Turner let me borrow. Wonderful story. It's a great story about Jesus being born in Georgia <laughs> and growing up in the South and being lynched by people who didn't like his way. <coughs> he's also the founder of Koinonia Farms. And he's one of the founders of that wonderful ministry, Habitat for Humanity. He was a preacher. He was invited to a revival. Sounds fun, doesn't it? 
He was invited to a revival in the hills of South Carolina, mid-1950s. Remember what the world was like? Racial segregation, a lot of hatred between blacks and whites, a lot of resentment, a lot of fear. He's invited to this revival, and he gets up on the stage with, with the, the preacher of that congregation, who he described as a hillbilly preacher. Uneducated, at least not seminary trained and ruined. <laughs> but he's sitting next to this to this preacher, and he looks out and he sees something that's really unusual. He's looking at the audience, and it's black folks and white folks sitting side by side in a deeply segregated South. Blacks and whites sitting side by side. Well, he's curious. This is great, he thinks. This is great. So, um, how'd you do it? And the preacher said, how'd I do what? No, I'm looking out here. Look at all these, these African-Americans and, and whites, and they're all kind of sitting together. You, you don't find this in the South. You don't, I mean, in fact, you don't really find this anywhere. You don't find this anywhere. Um, was it because of the decision? That's what Clarence Jordan asked this preacher. Was it because of the, the decision? And he said, what decision? He goes, oh, come on, you know what I'm talking about. The recent Supreme Court decision desegregating schools. Brown versus the Board of Education. That Supreme Court decision that's going to, you know, make us equal and change race relations. He said, the hillbilly preacher said to him, oh, that Supreme Court and government, we don't need that. We're Christians. <laughs> and I love that response. Because if we're waiting for a secular institution to fix what's wrong with us, keep on waiting. We already know what the right thing is. Do we have the courage to do it? Do we have the courage to do it? So no, we don't need the Supreme Court and all that. We're Christians. Well, well, tell me, tell me, okay, so you have a story to tell. And he finally got this preacher to talk to him about, about what had happened in that church and how they got to be this, this really strange, integrated community. He said, well, you know, we have, we've been dwindling in numbers. We got kind of small. And uh, we couldn't afford a preacher anymore. Oh, joy. <laughs> Quicker to lunch. Yeah, they couldn't afford a preacher anymore. And, and that preacher said to him, you know, after about maybe it was like four or five Sundays of no preacher, I went to one of the deacons. Right? Baptist churches have leaders in their church. They're deacons. They're the leaders of that, that congregation. So you might have four or five people represented as the deacons, the leaders of the church. He went, he went to one of them and said, you know what? I'll, I'll preach for you. He said, you will? Okay. We got this preacher. So they're going to try him out. Gonna try him out. I said, okay, you can, you can preach then. They agree. Deacons agree. We've got somebody to volunteer. He'll be our preacher. So he said the first Sunday, he went up into the pulpit, not prepared, opened up that Bible, point and shoot. <laughs> and his finger landed on some text from the Apostle Paul in Christ. There is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all children of God. 
And he preached that message and said, this is the word of God. We can no longer support segregation. We can no longer be a segregated church, regardless of our color or anything else. We are all the same if we are in Christ and followers of Christ. Well, I love that message. The deacons didn't. <laughs> he said after the service was over, one of the deacons called them over. Don't you ever preach that again. Don't you ever preach that again. The end of segregation, racial equality, don't you ever preach that again. So the next Sunday, he did the same thing. <laughs> and he said, whatever it was they didn't want to hear, that's what I preached. <laughs> and I preached them down to four members. <laughs> yeah, that'll give a church treasurer some heartburn. <laughs> I preached them down to four members. Then other people hurt. Other people hurt. And those who have been inspired by the true gospel, the gospel of God's love for all people, the ones who recognize that, yeah, it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to follow the gospel. It's hard to love everybody as your neighbor. It's hard, but it's what we're called to do. Those people who want to take that harder path, Come on in. And they rebuilt that church. They rebuilt that church. That's how you end up with this church. And that is God's way. Um, Clarence Jordan said that um, he was taken back to his, um, his hotel that night by a college professor. I want you to think about how unusual that might be. You got this hillbilly preacher in a South Carolina mountain church, probably a bunch of poor folk, with everything that goes along with that, blacks and whites together, and you've got an academic in the crowd. He was an English professor from the University of South Carolina. Highly educated, highly trained, and we might think sort of better fit for a different congregation. It was 70 miles from his home to this small church. He drove 140 miles round trip to go to church. And Clarence asked him, so, um, so you, you travel from Columbia to this small church? You a PhD academic, right? Travel all that way to this small church. Now, you know, you gotta admit that's kind of unusual. Why do you do that? He said, because that man preaches the gospel. That man preaches the gospel. In our challenging and challenged and difficult times where things are perhaps so confusing about what we are and who we are and what we're supposed to be and how we're going to pull ourselves out of this mess that we're in, to hang on to what's good. Hang on to what's good. Preach the gospel. Teach the gospel. Be the gospel. And 
We pray that the Holy Spirit might make us pure of heart, that like Jesus presented this day in the temple, we might present it also as a gift to God. Amen. Amen.